Welcome to the Dr. Bub's Performance Podcast, giving you the latest evidence-based research and cutting-edge insights for elite mental and physical performance. He's connecting you directly with the world's leading experts and coaches. Here's your host, Dr. Bubs. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Dr. Bubs Performance Podcast. This is Season 2, Episode Number 2, and today we're going to talk sports science and the art of sports science with author of Game Changer, Dr. Fergus Connolly. In this episode, Fergus talks about why you should start from the game itself and work backwards, the importance of a holistic rather than reductionist view in performance sport, as well as the value of upskilling staff versus adding more specialists. He touches on the human-first approach to athletes, how data is either useful, useless, or interesting, and the line between whether athletes should or shouldn't know their data and metrics. Phenomenal insights here from Fergus, who's worked with the best of the best in virtually all sports. Once again, if you are new to the podcast and would like some more content and insights, please check out our best of 2017 episode number 52 of season one. If you want to dig a little bit deeper into some of the areas of performance sport, you can circle back to season one, episode number five with Dr. Jazz Rindawa and Jason Hetler from Altus Performance in Arizona. Season one, episode number 18 with Dr. Charlie Weingroff on training and recovery as well as episode number 29 with former LA Lakers head strength and conditioning coach, Dr. Tim DeFrancesco in supporting nutrition and longevity in athletes. Once again, check out my simple actionable tips, which I call my layups at drbubs.com forward slash podcast, along with the more in-depth performance tips from this episode. Before we get started, a quick word from our new sponsor, Totem Sport. Totem Sport is the world's only 100% natural supplement. No sugar, no artificial flavors, absolutely nothing added. What is it? Totem Sport is the world's purest deep ocean mineral water. Collected from natural algae blooms in the Atlantic Ocean, Totem Sport is the only sports drink supplement that contains all 78 naturally occurring minerals and trace elements. Totem Sport is highly bioavailable and has been shown in the research to endurance stamina by stabilizing blood glucose levels during exercise, as well as strengthening immunity by buffering exercise-induced reductions in key immune markers. The research on deep ocean mineral water is ramping up, a recent study highlighting its major promise as the optimal rehydrating strategy over spring water and other sports drinks. Totem Sport is the evolution of hydration, the world's only 100% natural sports drink, tested and approved by Informed Sport and Informed Choice. Check out totemsport.co.uk and defy the norm. All right, let's kick off season two, episode number two on the art of sports science. Enjoy the show. I'm joined today by Dr. Fergus Connolly, perhaps the only person in the world who's worked at the highest levels of Premier League Soccer, International Rugby, the NBA, NFL, and NCAA, where he's currently the Performance Director for Michigan Football. Fergus is also the author of the fantastic and unique book, Game Changer, which cuts through the hype and myths to show, to show you what really works, sharing details of how the most elite teams from around the world apply the latest knowledge, research, sports science, and technology to achieve excellence. Fergus, really appreciate you taking the time out today. Oh, delighted. Honored, Mark. Thank you. Terrific. Well, listen, can we maybe kick things off here by you telling folks a little bit more about how um, you got into working in elite and professional sport with your eclectic background? Um, I think like most people, I think, um, you know, it's, it's always been love of the game. We all start off playing a team sport or a sport individual sport perhaps and uh, we start playing it because we 
it's it's just a love the enjoyment the reward that we get from the game and uh i think it's really important for us coaches as well that uh you know sometimes we forget where it all started um but i i started off playing sport in ireland always been interested in it i never thought that there were were an opportunity to uh you know progress as a career or have a career in it it was always a hobby um, I went to university, I studied uh, teaching, I studied construction, studied manufacturing and ended up finishing with a PhD in computer optimization. But all of the time as I was studying there, I would spend more time in the, in the sports areas and uh, in studying sports science, using my free time to visit coaches around the world. And uh, <clears throat> through visiting various people all around the world, I ended up getting an offer, offered a job uh, as a strength coach and sports scientist at a Premier League team, and that's kind of how it started, more by accident. But it it all comes back to just love of love of team sport, love of uh, understanding and being part of a group of people who can, you know, achieve something special for each other. Yeah, it's so interesting. And of course, your you know fantastic new book, Game Changer: The Art of Sports Science, is a phenomenal read. It almost feels like a, a university text on sports science. And uh, throughout the book, you talk about, you know, why people should start from the game itself and how it affects a scoreboard and then work backwards from there. Can you explain that? Well, I think over the last few years, um, you know, there's been a, a trend towards isolating and separating segments of performance and, uh, you know, really emphasizing them in small detail and perhaps overemphasizing their importance um, to the outcome and to the game. Um, obviously, commercialism, marketing, and, you know, technology have also become uh, part of this. And um, their influence on the young generation of coaches coming through and on the industry has not always been a positive one. And sometimes we have lost track of the fact that there are a lot of the most successful coaches, arguably, have not been focused on those minutiae. They deal with the person. They deal with the team. They deal with the game as a whole. Um, they are aware of the small elements, they are aware of the impact of those, but fundamentally they deal with the thing as a whole and they, they deal with the game as a whole and they work backwards from, uh, you know, from, from the game, from the scoreboard, from the results. Yeah, it's so interesting because even in, you know, in clinical practice, working in you know, chronic disease, this idea of just outcomes of, of you know, who can help patients at the end of the day or clients at the end of the day and kind of working backwards from there, we get so um, boiled down sometimes and, and in the minutiae, as you mentioned, even in sport, there now, you know. For- well, I think, and sorry, just just to use just to follow on the, on that point yeah. about emergency medicine, there are, you know there is a trend in Western society, and this goes this is not the U.S. alone, but it's across the world where we we focus very much on you know uh, car crash performance or an emergency performance rather than taking a step back and having a more holistic approach. And, um, you know, Canada has always been to the forefront of having a more holistic approach towards healthcare and towards performance. Um, uh, but I think sometimes in sport, we, we tend to do the same thing. What is the fastest way to get a small result in a particular or a big result in a small area, as opposed to how do we have gradual overall holistic, what's our holistic view of performance? Um, and I think that's what I really tried to address in, in the book. Yeah, and you also touch on this idea of, you know, often teams will bring in more and more staff to cover various areas, you know, versus this idea of kind of upskilling existing staff. Can you talk about the, you know, the, the pros and cons there of, of, of those? Yeah, I think, again, there's a, a it's probably, you know, a, 
you know, in the, um, a reflection of the Twitter generation that we're in, where people are looking for sudden information, sudden impact very quickly, as opposed to, you know, assessing whether or not it's correct, and then having a, a gradual, incremental, sustained, uh, you know, pathway to performance or pathway to success. That's far more important. And I think when we have staff um, and when we bring staff into uh, into teams to improve performance, sometimes we're looking for sudden fixes as opposed to upskilling the staff who already have inherent and, uh, you know, domain-specific knowledge or team-specific knowledge. Rather than upskilling them, we try and bring in specialists uh, to suddenly solve problems. But um, unless there is, uh, you know, a, a proper model in place, sometimes these don't, uh, you know, provide long-term sustained impacts. Absolutely. And of course, I mean, there's always a need for specialization, but today in elite sport, is there too much specialization going on in the performance or medical side? I, I don't think, I don't think it's a case of if there, you know, if there's necessarily too much. I think it's a case of have you have you an established environment where it can where you can use the specialists, um, and there's a pathway, there's a program um, that uh, they can come in, that they can have an impact, and it's sustained and maintained, as opposed to simply just coming in. For, for example, it's like if somebody gets sick, you um, you know, and they become particularly ill, you. Get an antibiotic to 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 um, to eradicate whatever the illness is. But if you don't uh, support that with education in terms of understanding why they got ill in the first place, if you don't provide proper education um, so that the patient understands the impact of the antibiotic itself, if you don't support the 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 human holistically in terms of uh, good uh, digestive and gut health going forward you're going to end up having to replicate this treatment time and time again. It's the very same thing in performance. If you, you can bring in chiropractic, uh, dry needling, whatever the specialty might be, or speed work or whatever it is, but unless you have, again, the terrain, the environment in place, that the other staff can carry it on and can continue to educate the athlete, it's, you're just going to have to continue to do it time and time again. So it's having that model and having the follow-up is, is arguably more important when you uh, begin to make these changes or implementations than simply the treatment or the service alone. Yeah, that's uh, very well said. And, of course, it dovetails into my next question here, which is talking about players. And, of course, you know, at Canada Basketball, we emphasize this idea of, of human first. And, of course, you write about it so well in your, in your book. And um, one of the quotes, we cannot consider the success of athletes separate from their health. Can you unpack that a little bit more for listeners? Well, it it really comes down fundamentally to the philosophy, um, the belief system of the coaches, sorry, of the organization, which is really a reflection of the uh, the administration and the coaches. In other words, if you take any ambitious and very driven coach, very driven administration, they can take over any team and drive it very, very hard for three years. Anybody can do it. We can drive teams, strength train, speed train, and you might get short-term success, but you will not get a sustainable success, a program of sustainable success if you don't look after the person, if you don't look after the families of the people, if you don't look after the person, the the loved ones of, of the coaches, of the players, of the staff, because 
that that is what you need for sustained success. And coaches who have short-term turnovers and staff or who have, who drive teams very, very hard end up losing one of two things. They lose the support of their staff. They lose the support of the players. Um, and they don't have repeated sustained success over a period of time because it's when things get, when things get difficult um, that is when you need their support the most, and and that's why it's particularly important that you look after the people. And if you've got if you have people who, um, you know, who work for you, the most important thing that you can do for them is not look after them; it's look after their family. And that might simply uh, that's not sometimes directly looking after them, but it's simply making sure that their husband or wife gets home in time. Uh, you know, on certain number of evenings at least early enough to see their kids to see their families have evenings off that they can take care of their loved ones if you do that over if you do that now you build an environment where people are prepared to give you more above and beyond because this is a people business this is not manufacturing this is not technology this is a people business where um where people matter and what people want to do for you matters when when times get tough and particularly as a head coach or as a head of a department, it can be lonely when things go difficult. So you need your staff support when things get difficult. Yeah, so true. I mean, in terms of health, I mean, it's the greatest limiter for our own performance or athletic performance. So it's very true in terms of being able to take care of the people around you. And of course, when we talk about you know players' health or even performance, data is obviously a big part of that. And you know, you write in your book that data is either useful, useless, or interesting. Can you explain? <laughs> Yeah, so when it when it comes to uh, an athlete, one of the things that we sometimes forget is that the ability to play the game at a very high level comes down to um, not just your ability, um, but the experience you can draw on. In order to build that experience, you must be a healthy athlete because you must stay in the game, so to speak. You must play many games at a high level to develop a high level of uh, of experience that you can draw on that makes you a good player so you know people the, it's a chicken and egg question does a good player uh, do good are good players good and then play a lot of games or are good players good because they have played a lot of games and in there are there is a little bit of both but for the for the for the large part Good players are good because they've played a lot of games. And there are many players who have developed well over time by playing a lot of games. And the reason they have played a lot of games is fundamentally because they have been healthy. And uh, the surge in technology and the surge in data collection has, um, has you know, brought a lot of questions to, um, towards the whole idea of what data is useful, what's interesting, or what is invariably useless. One of the biggest challenges that the sports industry have today are the plethora of technologies and services that are out there and the marketing that goes with them because many companies, whether it's GPS, whether it's force plate, uh, or force platform data, whether it's heart rate variability, are simply selling a product. And the product doesn't have to work. It doesn't have to be accurate. It just has to be marketed well to get traction. And um, that's one of the biggest challenges that, that we have. Um, forming a model whereby you understand exactly what the technology does, understand what the, the data is going to provide for you, and understand where in the model, where in your model of the athlete and of the game that fits, that's critical to you being able to use that data effectively. 
and that's it's uh, it's one of the it's probably the biggest challenge that the modern strength strength coach or medical practitioner in a professional uh, environment faces. Yeah, I find a lot of teams or strength coaches or practitioners end up you know accumulating a lot of data and then trying to figure out exactly what the data is telling them versus sort of asking that question first of of what they're actually trying to to look for. Is that something that you see in in, in working with with teams and throughout the years? Yes, and um, two other things that tend to happen are one that they, because they've invested in this technology, having bought into this, you know, false marketing of a technology company or a um, or a service, that that is who they rely on to help interpret the data. Well, you know, it, it's it's like turkeys voting for Thanksgiving. Well, of course they're <laughs> going to, of course they're going to tell you, you know, they're going to feed you and they're going to support you because they want you to continue to use their product, which is fine, but. You know, unless you've done your own independent research and know, you know, you can't rely on these people. That is why, you know, for one, I've never taken or never, you know, uh, been sponsored by a technology company because I don't ever want to feel obliged to support um, any product um, because of just the nature of the industry. It's a, it's, a, it's a very, very dangerous industry to get involved in by endorsing it. But the second problem that many teams end up facing is that they realize the emperor has no clothes. So they have all of these technologies, um, they have all of this data, but it's actually not making an impact and they're scared to actually get rid of the technology now. And what they end up doing is investing more money in it. So a company or a team that has perhaps 15 GPS units and realizes that they're not getting a lot of data or useful information from it, or they've invested in force uh, platforms, uh, don't quite understand what they're doing with the data and realize that just measuring signatures and measuring this wonderful stuff is really interesting, but it's not actually improving performance, end up either buying more GPS units, buying more force platforms, buying more software to, in an endless search to try and put clothes on an emperor that just doesn't have them. So it becomes a, a vicious circle where it just ends up spending more and more money. Um, so again, it's having those, having independent experts who can help you uh, design a performance environment is probably one of the smartest things that you can do when you spend your money when you're deciding what kind of sports science program you want to chase. And if someone does find that technology that suits their program and suits their philosophy, you know, when we get down to the player level again, like how much does the player really need to know in terms of the data that's coming out um, in terms of how it can impact yeah. their perception and how they perform or recover? Yeah, the, the, it's, a, it's a wonderful point. There, there, are, there are two things I think that are really important. One is that uh, it's it really comes down to the athlete themselves not you it comes down to does the athlete because some athletes we, we have you know um, I've had guys who were studying to become uh, medical doctors I've had guys who are uh, were studying one guy studying to be um, uh, an aeronautical engineer those guys want to know they're interested they're, they're generally interested as a rule they want to know what you're doing what you're measuring but then I've got other guys who just are brilliant athletes not particularly interested so I don't bother with them. But the players who do want to know, I do. And I try and help those. Um, the other um, important thing to remember is with these technologies, particularly when it relates to the player, is that everything works but for a period of time. So, for example, the, the, one of the things that we've spoken about are questionnaires where player questionnaires where we have players might want to fill in sickness, soreness data and all of those kind of things. If the, if the player... Um, fills it out for a period of time and it ends up getting giving their them an awareness of their stiffness, soreness, and sleep. 
it may there is a period where it will work but after that then that that wears off so it's understanding how long are you going to use technology the technology or the service or or the intervention for what its life cycle is and then when you introduce it again so i would never ever use any technology cons- constantly uh, repeatedly over a period of time i just wouldn't do it um, because you you don't end up getting accurate data all of the time everything has a life cycle yeah it's great insight absolutely and you know kind of touches into this idea of even mindset and of course emotions and the role of emotions in high performance and how emotions are really the fastest mechanism in the body. Um, so how do emotions or emotional intelligence for that matter uh, in athletes impact elite performance? Well, I think, I think particularly with players understanding how they manage stress, um, how they manage the challenges in performance. And for like, I mean, a classic example um, you know, was Michael Crabtree and, and uh, you know, the, the, the whole chain pulling incident which the, the NFL had. You had two players who had had a history um, of um, argument the year before. They face up again and, and the very same thing happens where two players are rejected from a game. They miss two games now and it's purely based on, on emotion. One player trying to aggravate another and trying to put them off their game. Being able to understand those, being able to understand how you manage stress, being able to understand what's what's important to you, the the recall. Emotion is an incredibly important aspect. And there are a few coaches who I know who I've worked with who will, um, very few though, but who will uh, on their training plan for the day mark down what the, the emotion is for the day. And it's a very important thing to do, in my opinion, because it allows all of the coaches to understand what emotion uh, or the nature of the emotion that they're trying to elicit in the player, or sorry, in the environment that they're trying to have the player experience on that day. So perfect example is the day's post-game. You may want an emotion, a calmer emotion, a lower emotion, where the player can engage and learn and doesn't feel challenged, doesn't feel defensive, so that they can take in uh, the learning uh, and the questions or the challenges that you're presenting to them in a safe environment. So it's a, it's a low energy, low emotion day for learning as opposed to coming in the day after where people are aggravated or perhaps um, there isn't a, a congruency uh, in terms of the emotion for the team environment. So that um, so you don't want, for example, and, and it's, it's a very important point that all of the staff are aware of this so that the staff come in and know that the environment that the head coach wants is a calm one. Even though it was a bad defeat at the weekend, this is a calm environment. We're going to we're going to regroup. We're going to figure out clearly and coldly and calmly what the mistakes are. We are going to address them in a safe environment. We're going to learn. Nobody feels threatened. It's a uh, there, there's uh, there's not a, a huge emotional charge around, and the learning can take place as opposed to coming in in a very aggravated way, and players feel challenged, don't feel safe, and don't feel as though they can learn. Yeah, it's amazing how the emotion is such a tightly tied into player health, both physical and mental, as well as. Um, you know, things like recovering performance, as you mentioned, and if we, mm-hmm. if we talk sort of coaching and, and, and this idea of emotion or even effective teaching tools, one of which is obviously things like storytelling. Can you, can you touch on how um, that connection between storytelling, uh, using that as a teaching tool and emotion are, are wrapped in together? So very often players and, and athletes, you know, none of us like to be lectured to. Um, we are, we, um, and, and, you know, this is something that, for example, 
Phil Jackson and even Bill Walsh would do years ago. Great coaches have done this for years. It's not particularly new. But allowing the players draw their own uh, conclusions from either either stories or movies um, or combinations of images so that um, the players can draw, uh, can, can have a, an understanding of what the message is, but they draw their own conclusions from it. And it's very important that when you tell a story, for example, that has a moral and go back to the Bible, go back to, you know, stories and parables that Jesus would tell, the moral of the story and the interpretation would um, as the interpretation of the, the moral and the principle is the same for everybody, but people listen to the story, they don't feel challenged. And it goes back to this idea of not directly challenging the player, but telling a story so that they can draw their own conclusion from it. And the end result is that people draw their own conclusion, but the theme and the moral is the same for everybody. Yeah, I find it's amazing stuff when we see just over generations and and millennia and throughout history, this uh, storytelling as a means of, of passing on information from one generation to the next. And of course, you know, even in today in elite sport, this idea of being able to take away what the person, what resonates for that person. And of course, well, if, yeah, and if, if you watch, if you watch groups of people, you know, nobody loves any, you know, nobody loves anything better than sitting around telling stories, storytelling. We tell them to our children at night and we tell this, the same stories time and time again. You know, the, the, the story the, the night before Christmas is going to be read and retold to another generation this year, uh, another year. So the, we live, the, you know, our society um, exists, civilization has existed on storytelling. Um, you know, Disney, uh, Paramount, all of these great uh, industries are, are, are born around and based around storytelling. There's a reason that stories work and there's a reason that, that we use them. So in sport... Um, smart coaches uh, and smart uh, support staff use them uh, and use them to help educate players um, so that they, again, draw their own moral or, or conclusion from it. Yeah, and it's amazing how today the science behind even just how we can remember things as well from storytelling is, is, is mind-boggling. You know, you talk right. about listening, you talk about observing, and of course in your career you've had a chance to observe some phenomenal, phenomenal coaches. You know, how important is observing um, in the performance realm? It's it's critical. I somebody told me the the or gave me the saying many many years ago that um, uh, a fool uh, won't learn from a wise man, but a wise man can learn from a fool. And it made me ask the question, which am I? <laughs> and uh, and I've always I've always remembered that. So there is always something to learn by by observing, and um, particularly even at games, um, I I've don't I. Um, you know, people have remarked, well, you, you know, you are you not happy or you're not emotional or whatever at games. But I'm always uh, watching, learning, trying to, to see something as opposed to getting caught up in the emotion of the, the actual game because you're there's always something to learn and you're always looking for trying to stay one step ahead of, of what's happening. So it's always um, learning and, and trying to see something before it happens, trying to understand why people do what they do. And trying to create an environment that encourages uh, people to, to do particular things. One of the things that I think is really important is when you visit other teams and other environments, and you see what they do and how things work. That you, you know, you observe, but in the back of your mind, you ask why, why, why. You know, you go to three different levels of 
trying to understand why do people do what they're doing and not take things at face value, not simply assume that because the first thing that you saw is the reason that they do it. Um, you know, it's uh, it. You know, it goes back to watching. You know, you know, watching a world-class player, perhaps like LeBron James, and seeing him eat a eat a banana before he, you know, goes to thirty minutes before he plays a game, and assuming that well, if every player that I have eats a banana thirty minutes before he plays a game, he's going to be like LeBron James. <laughs> just more. Maybe, the, maybe the guy just maybe the guy's just hungry. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe the guy's just hungry. But it's again, it's asking why, 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 going to different levels. Um, understanding that if you go to Kenyans and watch marathon runners and that they eat a particular food, well, knowing that maybe that's just the local food, maybe that is not the secret to success. And it's understanding those different things. The other thing that's particularly important about observing great teams is knowing what it is that you can learn from them. And I, I use the example of soccer and rugby. If you want to learn from soccer, um, know that you won't learn a lot or you won't learn a lot about strength training in soccer because it's not as as big a factor in the outcome of performance, um, but you will in rugby. Um, but if you go to, if you go to rugby, for example, if you go to a rugby team to learn, um, can you draw on uh, can you draw on them from a better understanding of strength and power, and as opposed to skill? Because in soccer, skill has a far greater impact on the game. Than, uh, than than strength and conditioning. So um, these are the things that I think it's very important to understand the environment that you're going into and what you can learn from them. But it's it's very very it's it's very very important. Yeah, it's amazing how environment gives you a chance to change your perspective. And again, whether it's in, in medicine where people kind of can get stuck into one mentality or even in performance, it's amazing how yeah changing that environment can give you a new lens to see uh, problems with and. Of course, I, I practice an evidence-based practice, whether it's medicine or performance. But in elite performance, you know, this happens a lot of times before we understand what the science is explaining. So, where does that marriage between uh, evidence-based and, of course, that boots-on-the-ground uh, clinical or, or applied practice? I think it's a, it's a fabulous question, and it, you know, I've I've always tried to, to I've always tried to respect both because you, you need to. At the end of the day, no matter what domain you exist in, come from, or live in, that you, if you are, if you uh, are anywhere, any way aware, you will be humble, and you will recognize that we don't know everything, um, and you know science is there to be questioned, um, and we are constantly live in a state of uncertainty because we're constantly learning. There are very few things that are absolute. And it's again, it's it. Everything that we do, whether we like it or not, is based on an opinion. Really, um, even you know, our, at our best, m much of our science um, comes down to conclusions that are drawn, and we are constantly evolving how they interact with each other, which is where the greatest challenge faces faces us at the minute. And I think we need to continue to respect and learn from both sides, so that we can, um, you know, take best care. of of our, um, you know, of our players and treat them as though they were our own children. Very well said. And of course, you know, for yourself being at the tip of the spear in terms of sport performance here, you know, where is the evolution of performance headed, you know, in a decade's time or so? Where, where are things going in terms of performance and sports science, do you think? The, great, the, the, um, 
the greatest improvement now can be made where you where paradigms meet. That is the single greatest improvement. It's not to be made in studying, like I said, you know, some GPS variable to the nth degree. Now it's how do you interact and how do you create an overall program and create an environment that improves your athlete. It's not in the minutiae. It's not anymore in the minutiae for this period of time. It's how do you integrate um, all of these different elements and how do you have a good understanding of how they all work. That's that's where the greatest progress is to be made currently at this point in time. We never before have we had as, as much technology available to us, but the implementation and the integration of it, uh, is not, uh, is, it has not been optimized yet. That's fantastic. And of course, Fergus, I really want to respect your time here. I know you've uh, carved out some time for us today, so I really appreciate that. So last question for you. Um, if you had to give um, listeners, maybe a young strength coach or sports scientist, a piece of advice, you know, that 20% of the fundamentals of sports science that could help them get that 80% of the way home, uh, what would it be? Oh, wow. I think, um, I think the two things that young strength coaches um, – are not exposed to it's not their own fault but they're not exposed to um enough as they come through in their career is one learning from experienced professionals like i go back to the oliver meals of this world um you know finding those guys and learning from them i think is invaluable so find mentors and find good people that you can learn from you know one of the guys who had the biggest impact on my career was a strength coach for the all blacks ashley jones um you know he was um he, he was an incredible, an incredible coach for me. Alvar Meal himself has been many, many more. Mike Gittinson here at the University of Michigan. Many of these strength coaches have a wealth of, invalu- uh, of invaluable um, uh, information and knowledge to hand down. The second one is learning from your athletes, um, and it was something that, you know, that uh, you know, another coach, Charlie Francis, had spoken to me about was, you know, working with your athlete and learning from them. Um, and how much can you learn from them? Because my athletes have taught me as much as I have, you know, taught them possibly a lot more. And every time, like working with experienced athletes, whether it's, um, you know, like a Stephen Gerrard at the Premier League or working with a, a Frank Gore, when you question them and ask them what worked for you, why did some X work for you, why did Y work for you, how does this feel, how does that feel, those um, that learning. That's that's incredibly important for uh, that's incredibly important for um, for the young strength coaches coming through. Don't neglect that. Fantastic. Well, listen, Fergus, awesome insights here today. Really appreciate you taking out the time. Um, you know, where can people pick up your fantastic new book, and where can people stay connected with you on social media? Uh, I'm on Twitter. Um, uh, Fergus underscore Conley and Amazon. My book is on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm delighted with. Uh, I'm to be honest, I'm humbled by the by the, by the response and the impact. So um, I didn't think it would be. Uh, I didn't think it would be such a huge success. But it, the feedback has been has been great. So um, I'm glad that's having such an impact and such a positive impact for so many coaches and so many sports around the world. Fantastic. Yeah, congrats. It's a phenomenal book, and we'll definitely include all those links in a podcast summary in the show notes at drbubs.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again, Fergus, for, for coming on here, and thanks again, everyone else, for tuning in. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at drbubs. You can use the hashtag drbubspp. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and share with friends and colleagues. Thanks again, and see you guys all next week. 
The Dr. Bub's Performance Podcast endeavors to provide accurate and helpful information to listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Dr. Bub's Performance Podcasts.